Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. As we turn to the practical side of understanding holy wealth, how are we to earn money in this world? How can we earn money but also have a healthy balance in life? We will discover how to gain all we can in the identity God has given us as stewards. But today we're going to begin to talk about the practical side of holy wealth. So I just want to begin, really simply, to say, how many of you worked this week? Yeah, right? How many of you worked hard this week? How many of you worked more than you wanted to, to work this week, right? Yeah, amen. That's everybody. Teenagers are like, yeah, me. I don't even make money. But school is my job. Really, remember that. School is your job. And it's a good job. Enjoy it. Because you get Christmas off and summer's off and Easter off and all the days that nobody else gets off. Okay? Enjoy it. All right. Uh, But the reality of it is that we work for money to be able to live, right? And guess what? A lot of people know how hard you work for money. A lot of people know how hard you work. And the reason why I know a lot of people know that is because I look at my email every single morning and I have 22 advertisements saying, buy this, spend time here, get this, get this service, eat this food, right? I'm serious. On Thursday, when I wrote out this sermon, I had 22 emails. Now, just, just a, a, a tip, a pro tip. If you are like overwhelmed and you've, all, you've allowed your email just to go by the wayside and you're like, I'm just going to start a new email. That will be my advertisement email and this will be my personal one. There's a service called Rollup and it puts all of your advertisements into one email. It's great. I love it. So I actually get to review 20 emails in about a second. I can just go through, yeah, that interests me, click it, and then it's over. It's gone, right? But 22, 22 personalized emails because I've bought something from a website or from, I have some type of loyalty, whatever it is, you know, that kind of a thing. It's not unusual. In fact, if you watch a football game today, the football game is an hour, right? It takes an hour to play a football game. I mean, I know there's stops and things like that, right? And if there's a review, it takes about two hours for the referees to figure out if it's a catch or not. I get that. But the reality of it is an hour, an hour, it's supposed to be four 15-minute quarters and there's a 15-minute halftime, so an hour and 15 minutes. It takes three and a half hours to watch that. And what do we fill our time with? Commercials, right? If you watch YouTube, you will have a commercial before you watch another commercial because you heard that this one commercial was funny and the commercial that was before the funny commercial wasn't as funny as that commercial. Teens do it all the time, trust me. In a 30-minute sitcom, seven minutes of that 30 minutes is spent in advertisements. Over 20% of a sitcom is you being sold something. The reality of it is, is that people, all these companies and all these different businesses and all these different services know that you work hard for the money. I said it that way, so you have that song in your head now. So hard for the money. Okay? You work hard, and they understand that maybe you can make your life better with one of their services or one of their products. Right? And it all comes from the concept of it's your money, and use it in the way that you think is best. 
That is the point of our economy and the way that things go. You earned your money. You do what you want with it. Now, if you've joined us over the past two weeks, we've discussed that it's actually really not like that. When we look into the scriptures, we find that God created us in a way to, do, to handle money differently than just saying, it's mine and I do whatever I want with it. In fact, God says, I'm the reason why you have what you have. I'm the reason you have your talents and the ability to work. And I bring you to work to be a part of the world that I have created to be. And I will provide for you. I will provide for your needs. If you follow me, I will provide for your needs. I will give you enough. And so we find out that we're not owners, we are stewards. We have to manage what we are given in a way that brings glory to God. And then the second week, we talked really briefly about money and how it's not evil, even though a lot of people think it is. Actually, money is a amoral resource. It's not good or bad, but it's something that we can use in our life to bless people or to curse people. There are great amounts of temptations with money, absolutely. There are, you, you've seen it. You've seen people who have more money, more money push people around and get what they want and do what they want. But the reality of it is, money can also be a resource that we have to bring glory to God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. So, the question is, how do we manage our money in practical sense? And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to read a very interesting parable in the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to open to Luke chapter 16. We will also have it on the screen for you. And uh, this is a weird, weird moment in, in Scripture because Jesus is telling a parable. And a parable is really simple. It's, it's a story to, to show meaning. Right? It, it, it's, you know, metaphorical, allegorical, whatever the actual English term is, right? But anyways, it shows meaning in the story. And what's really interesting is most of the time when Jesus tells parables, he talks about the kingdom of God, or he talks about God himself, or he talks about a life that is following Jesus. That's what, that's what most parables are about. It's like, God is like this, you know, and this is great, and things like that. Or, or a life a life that is devoted to God looks like this and tells a story. But this one doesn't have any of those clarifications on it. In fact, it is a parable that will probably make you feel uncomfortable at first. So we read these words in Luke chapter 16. Jesus also said to the disciples, a certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my manager. Uh, I found out you're fired. That's what that means. <laughs> the household manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too proud to beg. In other words, he's not strong enough to do that farm work and he's too prideful to beg. I know what I'll do. So that when I am removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. And one by one, 
The manager sent for each person who owed his master money. And he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. 50% off. It's better than Black Friday. Then the manager said to, to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. And he said, take your contract and write 800. 20% off. The master, though, this is where it gets weird. The master doesn't get mad. He commends the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. And I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. And when we first read this, it seems like this dishonest steward is getting away with it, isn't he? Right? And you think to yourself, why in the world would Jesus talk about a dishonest steward getting himself out of this thing? Because isn't he being dishonest? <laughs> why would Jesus use this as a parable to sort of share reality with people? Well, that's the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't always fit the mold of what we expect. <laughs> he doesn't. Because the reality is, you and I, when we read this, we feel like he should be thrown out. He should get what he deserves. He should be begging or all that kind of thing. That's the natural feeling that you will have because this steward, this guy who manages someone else's money, has been dishonest with it. And he's being fired. And it should have been done right then and there. But what he does is he goes and tries to make the most of the situation. Maybe selfishly, probably selfishly. But the one thing that Jesus is commending this dishonest manager about is his ability to be a steward finally with what has been given to him. In other words, he's, he's been given a terrible circumstance and he's going to be thrown out. But that doesn't mean that he's not going to act cleverly, act wisely in a way that he is provided for. And consequently, ends up benefiting the owner and the debtors. Jesus says really very, like just so implicitly here, this very important reality. It's never too late. It is never too late to become a steward and to live a better way. And the reason why I believe this, that, that Jesus has this intention, is because this parable comes right after the parable of the shepherd, 
the lost coin and the prodigal son. This happened right before we read this. He actually just gets done with those three parables. Now, if you don't know a lot of the parables, really briefly, this is what those ones are about, okay? He says, God is like a shepherd who leaves 99 sheep to go find the one lost sheep. God cares about that one sheep as much as possible, that he will do whatever it takes for them to come back. Also, God is like a woman who lost a coin in her house, and she looks all around the house. And when she finally finds this coin, she celebrates. It's a single coin. But yet God celebrates those who are lost but now are found. And lastly, the prodigal son is about a man who, he's the youngest, youngest son, and he goes to his father and he says, I wish you were dead, so give me the money that I'm going to inherit when you die. That's, that's what it means when you, when you ask for an inheritance early on. You're basically saying to your, your dad, um, I want my money now. I want to go do what I want. And so the son goes and does what he wants. That's why he's called the prodigal. He's, he's reckless, and he spends all of his money, and he comes to the point of saying, whoa, I messed up. Maybe I can go back to my father's household. I don't want to be a son. I don't deserve any of it. But you know what? Maybe I can work with the workers for my father. And he goes back and the father sees him coming up the driveway and he runs to him and gives him a big hug and celebrates that he came back. And legitimately, the the parable ends ends with him saying to that son, My son was lost, but now is found. Jesus is sharing very simply that God celebrates when people turn it around, when they repent, when they come to the realization that what they did was wrong. And they ask for forgiveness. This steward didn't ask for forgiveness and may have been dishonest with how he stewarded the situation. But guess what? He finally figured out how to be a steward at the end of it as he was being fired. Oh, I'm going to be fired. I'm going to lose everything. I'm not going to be able to provide for myself. I'm not going to have a house. How in the world am I going to deal with this? And he takes what he has and is wise. And he manages the situation. And as I said, he comes up with a way that makes everyone look better or feel better about the situation because come 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 think about this okay even though the rich owner might be losing some money can that owner go to those debtors and say I want my full thing after the manager said no I'm going to give you 50% off I'm going to give you 20% off no you can't do that you can't go back on that because guess what all those debtors think that manager is still speaking for that owner But that debtor is going to look at that owner and say, man, my owner was pretty nice for doing that. My owner cares about me that he would even cut my debts 50 or 20%. It makes the owner look good, so the owner can't go back on that. The debtors feel better, and guess what? The manager is what? He's going to have a place to stay even though he's being fired. Now, what is the point of all this? Well, Jesus finally gets to the point. I love it when he says, people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong 
to the light. And the reality of it is, is that, yeah, that's sort of a true concept. People of the light are honest. People of the light take what they, or receive what they have and use it in a good way. That they're not looking to take advantage of other people. They're not looking to be dishonest to make a buck. So Jesus says briefly, he, he, he sort of reorients this concept about money and says, look, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves. And you think to yourself, is, is Jesus saying, buy some friends? No. That's what it sounds like, right? Like, oh yeah, you know, maybe people will hang around me if I have certain amounts of wealth. No, what Jesus is trying to say is that money is not the end goal. Money is not the end goal at all. In fact, relationships are the end goal. In other words, we are to manage our money for the relationships that we have with our family, with our friends, with our, our church family, with our neighbors. We are to use money in a way that benefits the relationships that we have. And maybe even possibly make. And then he ends to the whole point of saying, hey, even though this steward gets commended, here's the reality of things, okay? People who are honest are going to be honest. And people who are dishonest are going to be dishonest. And God values the honest people. And if you look at all the different other parables that Jesus talks about money, Anytime that somebody does a little something with the money that they've been given and manage it well, they are given more. What Jesus is trying to say is, you can't serve me and money at the same time. Be honest about the money that you have. Don't be dishonest with it. Otherwise, you're not going to be trusted with the things that I have for you. I think it's summed up perfectly with this. How you earn money and how you manage it says something about you. It says something about your priorities. It says something about who your God is. It reveals who your God is. And it says something about how faithful you will be in other areas of your life as you follow God. In other words, if you're dishonest in how you gain money, guess what? You're probably willing to be dishonest in other ways of your life. If you aren't faithful, if you're not a faithful steward in the way that God has given your identity, guess what? You're probably not faithful in other parts of your life. You probably succumb to other temptations. You probably think things are yours and you can do whatever you want with it. But the reality of it is, is that God has given us everything. We are stewards. It doesn't belong to us. And we manage what has been given to us for the glory of God. Now you might be thinking to yourself, how does this turn into a practical understanding of money? There was a man in the 19th century whose name was John Wesley. And John Wesley was a great pastor theologian. John Wesley was originally from England, and he 
said his sermons in 19th century English. And I'm here to tell you that because I read 19th century English this week and I'm pretty much convinced it's harder to read or understand Spanish, which I don't know as well as English. But I did it for you guys. He was a 19th century pastor theologian. He was an Anglican priest. An Anglican is a priest in the Church of England. And what he really, really emphasized in all of his different preachings, his sermons, and his theology is that life, our, our faith isn't just a belief system. It's not just about the things that we believe, but rather what we believe informs how we act. In other words, we begin to live out in the way that Jesus lived in such a way that we do take care of those who are poor and we feed the hungry and we clothe the naked. And so John Wesley wasn't just a preacher, even though he went all over the countryside on horseback giving tons of sermons. He also supported shelters. He supported, uh, he supported um, orphanages. He, he supported hospitals. And later, John Wesley would pretty much be the main founder of the Methodist Church in the United States. And the Church of the Nazarene came from a Methodist minister. So we owe a lot to John Wesley. But the reason why I'm bringing up John Wesley right now is John Wesley had a sermon on this exact same parable. And he is quoted with one of the most unbelievable... Oh, you ruined it already. I was, I was going to wait for a little bit, but now you see it on the screen. <laughs> he said these words, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And he said this over a long 19th century sermon that I read this week as I shared with you. <laughs> and you might think to yourself, what does all of that mean? Well, before I tell you exactly what some of it means, I want to tell you what John Wesley did with his money, how he managed money, how he was a steward. John Wesley, who, was, who grew up poor, he did not grow up in a wealthy, a wealthy situation at all. But as he became more popular, as he went and spoke around, he gained a lot of money. He didn't just move to middle class. He was in the upper middle class to upper class. And you might think to yourself, what did John Wesley do with all that money? And I'm here to tell you that John Wesley, for the most part, managed his money in such a way that he maintained the same standard of living that he had as a poorer person, and he gave away immense amounts of money to orphanages and to hospitals and to schools and to shelters. John Wesley is this amazing example of how to manage money in such a way that not only was he comfortable and provided for, but he managed money to give to others so that the kingdom of God would continue to come. He blessed others with his money. He literally took love God, love your neighbor, and said, this is how I do this with the money that I have been given. This is how I steward what God has given me. And so he gives this amazing sermon and he says, gain all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And so today, 
I want to start with that first statement. Gain all you can. How do we gain all that we can in a way that is godly? How do we gain the resources that we need to eat, that we need to be clothed, that we need to live in a way that brings glory to God? Here's the great part about it. It comes back to the parable we just read. First of all, in order to gain all we can in a way that brings God glory, we need to gain money honestly. It seems pretty simple, right? Well, yeah, it can be. How did we get that from that parable? Well, let's really be honest. Would the dishonest steward have a job if he was just honest with how he was managing money? Yes. <laughs> Jesus wouldn't be commending how he got out of the situation. Jesus would be commending him for being a faithful steward. For understanding that the money that he has and that he's working with is not his. And it's not his to waste. It's not his to do what he wants with it. Instead, it belongs to the owner. And in the same way as we are stewards with what God gives us, we are not to be wasteful in how we gain Money. Practically, it's simple. Is the money that you have earned this week taken advantage of another human being? Is the money that you have made this week causing injustice in the world? Is the money that you made this week because you were able to make your way up the corporate ladder by doing whatever it is that you needed to do for that money? Did you compromise your values? Did you outperform somebody in a way that you even were willing to slander them? If you're an employer, are you giving your employees the value of their work? Or are you making money dishonestly by just taking advantage of the wages you pay people? If we're an employee, are we honest about taxes? Are we honest about the things, basically everything, gain money honestly? Do you see how far stretched that can go? We as people of God are to gain money honestly. Otherwise, we're just like the dishonest, we're just like the dishonest steward, and guess what's going to happen? We're going to have to figure our way out of the dishonesty at some point. The second way to gain all we can in the way that God wants us to gain money is this: gain money for relationship or relationships. Take what Jesus said and take it literally. You don't make money to get money. You make money to take care of yourself, to take care of your family, to take care of your parents when they're too old, to take care of themselves, to take care of your friends, to take care of your church family, 
You earn money, not for money. You earn money to bless others. That's why it says use worldly wealth to make friends. Because at the end of the day, if you're using your money just for yourself and the materials and the things that you think that you need but aren't needs at all, they're actually wants, I'm going to tell you something. You will find unhappiness at some point. At some point, the car gets rusty. At some point, you have a bad day on the lake with the boat. At some day, you don't have enough money for food, even though you're paying money on some extravagant appliance. Understand that money is to be used for relationships. The third thing, and how to gain all we can in the way that Jesus wants us to gain money, is this. Gain money without cost to your relationships. And this is a big one. If you work 60 to 80 hours and you haven't seen your wife or your husband, you haven't gone out on a date in years, I'm here to tell you that your job, your gaining money, is costing your relationship. If you haven't seen your kids in a way, if you haven't laughed with your kids, if you haven't been able to discipline your kids of how much you don't want to discipline your kids, and the spouse is, doing, is being the bad guy all the time, guess what? You are causing costs to your relationships. Young people, if you haven't called your parents in months because you've been so busy making money, you are making money at a cost to the relationship. If you're working so much that you want to be at church, but you can't be at church because you're constantly having to pick up that overtime or that shift because you need all this money, you are gaining money at the cost to the relationships in your life. And lastly, if you haven't slept well, if you're not sleeping, if you're filled with anxiety, if you are just an irritable person constantly, and it's because you're working 80 hours a week and you are not resting at all, guess what? I'm telling you, you are gaining money at cost to yourself. God does not want you to work so much and gain so much in such a way that you have to work continuously all the time. That nobody else sees you. And lastly, we are to gain money. Actually, not gain. We are to begin to manage our money within the identity of Christ. In other words, do you really believe you're a steward or is your money your money? Do you have a healthy understanding of what a need is and what a want is? Do you have a healthy understanding of what you should spend your money on. Let me share a few things, how that, that looks practically. If you currently pay 50% of your income on your rent check or your mortgage, you're probably uncomfortable at the end of the month, aren't you? 
If you spend 50% of your money, by the way, 25% of it's gone to Uncle Sam, remember that. So if you spend 50% of your money that you get on your mortgage check or your rent, you're probably pretty uncomfortable, aren't you? And you know why? Because that you are living in a place that is above your pay grade. And I know that's really hard to say because we don't necessarily live in the greatest place in the world. But the reality of it is we must manage our, way, our money in a clever way, in the right way, so that we have the ability to take care of the other things in our lives. If you spend 20% of your income on going out to eat or entertainments or hobbies, I bet you 100 bucks that your wife we don't bet here, by the way. But I bet you 100 bucks, though, that your wife is, is bugging you that we don't have enough money. Because 20% on a hobby is way too much money gone. Another indication that you're not managing your money well, when have you given to somebody else so that they don't have needs? Have you? Because if you haven't, probably more than likely, you are managing your money in a way that is just for you and you alone. And you're basically saying to God, I own what I have because I worked for it and I earned it. And that's not what God created us to be. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to be clothed. I'm going to take care of you. Manage what I give to you well. Show that next slide there, Kyle. At the end of the day, the money that we have doesn't belong to us. It's God's. Gaining all we can within that reality of being a steward comes down to trusting God that he's going to provide. And you manage your money in a way that he is going to provide. Now, I want you to say this with me because I think repeating it is really important. It's not my money. It's God's money. It's not my money. It's God's money. We're going to do this 21 more times so you know it. It's not my money. It's God's money. But you have to trust him. This will never work if you don't trust God. Our Alan Culpepper, I think, sums it up perfectly. And what Jesus said about whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. Can't serve God in money. This is what he says. Christians, people who follow Jesus, are to be faithful whether we deal in little things or vast resources. Whether we are a shrewd as a dishonest steward, depends on whether we use our material goods, great or small, to help those in need. Then, when we worship God rather than our wealth, we will find that we truly have friends in high places. How do you gain your money? And consequently, how do you manage your money? What does, the, what does your budget say about you? 
I'm here to tell you something. If you are feeling uncomfortable and you're thinking maybe I need to rethink how I spend money or how I gain money, I'm here for you. If you need help putting together a budget, I'm here for you. But here's the better part about it. I'm not perfect with money either, but we do have a financial advisor in our church too who can help you out too. So if you don't trust me, you can trust that person and I can give you the name of that person. But if you are feeling like God is really speaking to you about how you make your money and how you spend your money, maybe it's time to look for help with somebody who's not going to judge you and is not going to talk about your situation with anybody else. It will be totally confidential. But we are here as a church to help each other out. To be more faithful with the money that God has given us. So know that. If you need to write it on your connection card, write it and fold it. Nobody will see it. But let us know if you need help. I want to end today with a story. And I think this gives great, it, it casts a great light about everything that we've talked about today. I read this book by Stan Toller. He was a pastor in the Church of the Nazarene and a, a general superintendent. And he wrote this book about generosity. And he has all these small stories to really show what it means to be a steward with what we are given. Hey, I love this story. This is, this is such a great story. A woman and her husband who were invited to spend the weekend at the husband's employer home. She was nervous about the weekend. The boss was wealthy with a fine home on the waterway and cars costing more than her house. And the first day and evening went well. And she was delighting to have this rare glimpse into how the very wealthy live. The husband's employer was quite generous as a host and took them to the finest restaurants. She knew that she would never have the opportunity to indulge in this kind of extravagance again and was enjoying herself immensely. I'd, I would be too. <laughs> as the three of them we're about to enter an exclusive restaurant that evening. The boss was walking slightly ahead of her and her husband. And he stopped suddenly looking down on the pavement for a long, long, silent moment. And the lady wondered if she was supposed to pass him. There was nothing on the ground except a single darkened penny that someone had dropped for a, and, and a few cigarette butts. And still silent, the man reached down and picked up the penny. He held it up and smiled and put it in his pocket as if he had found a great treasure. How absurd! What need did this man have for a single penny? Why would he even take the time to stop and pick it up? Throughout dinner, the entire scene nagged her. And finally, she could stand it no longer. She casually mentioned that her daughter once had a coin collection and asked if the penny he had found had been of some value. A smile crept across the man's face as he reached into his pocket for the penny and held it out for her to see. She had seen many pennies before. What was the point of this? Look at it, he said. Read what it says. She read the word United States of America. No, no, not that. Read further. One cent? No. Keep reading. In God we trust? Yes. And? 
And if I trust in God, the name of God is holy, even on a coin. And whenever I find a coin, I see that inscription. If God drops a message right in front of me telling me to trust him, who am I to pass it by? Did he need that penny? No. Did he understand that that penny really didn't have that much value compared to what he already had? Yeah. He understood money for what it is. That it comes from God. And that we have the ability to trust him. That this life is not about making the most amount of money for ourselves, but rather to make the most amount of money to love God and to love others. That is the value of money. And you and I are invited to trust him, to gain all we can, honestly, to gain all we can for the relationships in our lives, to gain all we can without expense to the relationships that we have, and to manage what we have in the identity that God has given us as stewards. Thank you for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, visit us at championnaz.org.